Okay. As we dive into the Word of God this morning, we are in the book of Daniel. We are in the 10th chapter. We've been working through verse by verse as to what the Lord is saying to His people around the tale of two kingdoms. Today we land in Daniel chapter 10 in the first verse. And we're going to go straight there. Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 begins like this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia... A revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. As I was thinking about this message, I couldn't shake the memory of uh, when we went as a family to tree climb. Has anyone been to tree climb? Some of you need to grab a more adventurous spirit. Tree climb is basically like a high ropes, um, what's it called? Zip line. I forget that every time. Like a zip line course in the city and you can pay your money and you go up and you sort of latch yourself on and there's all these obstacles set up in the trees and you walk along. But you're attached to a zip line. So it's like impossible to fall, okay? However, there are people in the world who are scared of heights. Anybody in this room? We don't judge or condemn you. We love you. (laughs) And so what happens is you get up and there's all different ages are allowed. There's a kiddie course. You can come up and you can zip around the place. Some people are more afraid than others. My children went along and did the kid course. And when they sort of said, yep, off you go, my kids are reasonably competitive and they ran, but they got second, third and fourth in the line, not first, second and third. And there was a young lad who got in front. And because it's a zip line, like you're stuck behind that person. You can't go left or right. You've got to wait for them to do the course. And this young lad, I think it must have been his first time, and I would suggest that he was scared of heights. And so he sort of very slowly was navigating his way. Mabel was in second place and she was literally right behind him with every step, just encouraging him to carry on. And we got to the very last thing, Joe and I were on the ground sort of looking up and this kid was in the front of the line and he got to the ledge and at the end, the last thing is like this huge long zip line which you jump off of and you zip all the way to the end when you land in a pile of sawdust. And so this kid got to the line at the front there and he's sitting on the ledge or standing on the ledge and he just freaked out and wouldn't move. He's just standing there. He's like, nah, and you can't go backwards. You can't go forwards. It's like that, you know going on a bear hunt. Can't go under it. Anyway, so he gets to the ledge and he's like, what am I going to do? He starts crying. He's freaking out. His mum's down there. She's like encouraging him as much as she can. Come on, darling, just sit down. Just lift your legs. Off you go. You'll be right. All that sort of gear. Nah, I'm not moving. Then one of the staff members comes along and is doing the same thing. So you've got mum and staff member both. You can do it. Come on. Nah, I'm not moving. Mabel is right behind him. Mabel's sort of talking, whispering in his ear, come on, mate, you can do it. No, I'm not moving. And then what she does, it was the best thing ever. She just takes a step forward and she just looked at us. We're over there. She just goes. <laughs> looks back, hand out, and just goes. <laughs> this kid's like, he's like lost, off he goes. He's He's flinging down the zip line and they say you should run on the zip line so you don't spin. So he's actually doing it perfectly as he's running, running along and bang straight into the pile of sawdust. Opsy hops and Mab's just like, let's go. And off she goes, she charges along. 
It was the best thing, but it just reminded me so much how much is that life sometimes where we're just standing on the ledge of something, a new opportunity or life even, and we just get stuck. We land there and whether it's fear or whether it's despair or whether it's discouragement, whatever it could be, life has a way sometimes of putting us in a position where we feel like we can't move. And we don't know where to go. We don't know if we're going to go left. We don't know if we're going to go right. Sometimes it feels like we're just in this darkness and we're like, what do I do? How do I act? How do I behave? How do I move forward? And what we need in these situations is someone or something to come along and just give us a little nudge in the right direction. Friends, this is what Daniel 10 is all about. Daniel is praying. Daniel's 85 years old. This is the third year of King Cyrus, which means it's two years after the 70-year prophecy that the Jewish people would be exiled and then returned. So two years after that prophecy has been fulfilled, many of the Jews have come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls with Ezra, so rebuild the temple with Ezra, and then seeking to rebuild the walls later on. And so Daniel actually hasn't gone with his people, which is really interesting. This guy, this leader of men and women, hasn't gone back to Jerusalem. He stayed in exile. Whether that's his age, we don't know. Whether that's because he felt like he'd be more useful actually back here rather than back there, I don't know. But for whatever reason, Daniel stays. But he's praying and he's seeking God and he's still leading his people from this place of exile. And Daniel, as he's praying and he's seeking God in this moment, gets a vision of the future. And as he gets the vision of the future, it smashes him. It absolutely floors him. It leaves him in that place of darkness. It puts him on the ledge as he looks out at what is to come and it terrifies him. And he doesn't know what to do. He can't move forward. He can't leap forward. He's just sort of floored by the whole experience of what is to come. He's overwhelmed. I wonder if you've ever been overwhelmed by life before. If life has hit you and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where God is in all of this. I don't know where hope is in all of this. But God comes and he speaks to him in this chapter. And this chapter is the first chapter of a literary unit. What I mean by that is chapter 10, 11 and 12 are all one and the same piece of work. It's not a separate thing. So we start with 10, that's the introduction. 11's the body, 12 is the conclusion. There you go. Year seven English. So this is our introduction of what is to come. Next week, we'll get to see what is the image, what's the vision that so impacted Daniel's life and left him in this place. But what I've titled the message today is learning to dance in the darkness. Because sometimes the darkness comes over us. Sometimes life has a way of so terrifying us that we don't know how to move and God would have us learn that even in the midst of the darkness, even in the place of discouragement and despair, there is hope and there is reason to dance. There is reason to celebrate our great God. There is something to hold on to. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Well, God has a wonderful message for us in Daniel chapter 10. So here's the first thing. Are you ready? Are you ready, church? Verse 2. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Here's the first thing we we see. We have to learn to lament. Sometimes lament is a dirty word in churches. 
Because sometimes we've believed a lie that church is the place where we come and we have it all together. And we go, oh, I can't go to that place. I can't be in the people of God because my life's a bit ordinary at the moment or I'm, I'm struggling in this area or I feel a bit depressed. So I just don't really want to be around people. And so what we do is we take ourselves out of the very place that we're called to be in. Church is a hospital for the sick. Church is the place for the broken. We bring God our best, but we bring him the best in the midst of our brokenness. We don't hide our brokenness and then just bring our Sunday vest and our Sunday smile. No, 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 no. It's not about our Sunday best. It's our best. We bring our best in our brokenness and we know that God is in the midst of that. The word we use as a church is authenticity. What that means is I'm real. It means I'm giving God my everything. It means I come in here. But if that means I need to cry, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry. I was crying in our prayer meeting this morning because we've had a tough week as a family. And some of you have had tough weeks. It's okay to cry. There's a, bit, there's a song that says, big girls, they don't cry, yay, yay. Guess what? They do. And so do big boys. And men especially, we have this awful habit where we think, if I cry, I'm weak. Actually, guess what? You're supposed to be weak because God's power is made perfect in your weakness. And as men, as we begin to learn to lament, what we actually do is we begin to move forward. A few years ago, a couple of years ago now, we had a, a member of our community, not our church community, but our broader Hills community, because we're a part of that, who was a young guy who was killed in a car accident. And it was a horrible situation. He was super young. He was involved in the footy club, which we're involved in. Um, a big community person. And so the place where he was working at in the footy club, they asked me to come along and just speak to this bunch of young people who were stuck on the ledge. They didn't know where to go or how to move forward. And I came in, I'm like, well, this isn't a Christian environment. I'm still going to tell them about Jesus and the hope they have because they asked me to do it. So I did a little bit of that. But I thought, what's going to be helpful in this space? And what I went to was this place of lamenting. Learn to lament. And there's this great uh, philosophical, or I should say psychological way of looking at lamenting, way of looking at grief. We're going to put it up on the screen. It's called the five stages of grief. And in the five stages of grief, what we see is this denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. This is what psychologists talk about. So we begin when something tragic happens, denial. We're like, I can't believe this has happened. And we're just sort of in this place of shock. And then that Ultimately, we come to this place where we're a bit angry. And if anyone's experienced loss or lack, you'll find that you've landed in that place where you're angry with God, you're angry with your spouse, you're angry with whoever's around the place. There's just an anger. And that's a part of grief. That's a part of lamenting. Then we get to this place of bargaining, which is, oh, if only, if only this happened, or if only they did this, or if only I did that. And we get into that place. And then we get to this place of actual sadness and depression where the weight and the heaviness of what's gone on sits upon us. But the goal is to actually get to a place of acceptance, that we don't stay in anger and we don't stay in depression and we don't stay in denial, but we move to this place of acceptance. That's the five stages of grief that psychologists talk about. And it's not linear, it's cyclical. It means that one day you're angry, the next day you're denying, the next day you feel like you're coming to a place of acceptance and then you're back and you go round and round and round until ultimately we just start to move off of the ledge. out. We start to learn to dance in the darkness, to pick up life. I want to add one more. As a Christian, I think there's something that this psychologists have missed and that's thanksgiving. Actually, we want to get to a place of thanksgiving. We want to learn to praise God 
in the midst of trial. We wanna learn to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's an old CD produced by a guy called Robin Mark. I was showing Laura the other day. He's an Irish singer, a revivalist, and he sings this song. Put on the garments of praise. Does anyone know it? Come on. Surely Charlton Jeesman knows that song. And it's just this beauty, it just reminds me of this awesome thing. Yes, it's old, it's not very cool anymore, but God, those words are good. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And this is what we're called to do. We're on the ledge. Sometimes we're angry. Actually, what we need to do is teach ourselves to give God thanks and praise because He is able and He is worthy. And in the midst of that darkness, the first thing, if we learn to lament, if we learn to allow ourselves to grieve, if we learn to go through these stages and in the midst of those stages, actually say, God, you are good. And I'm gonna declare that you are good. I'm gonna declare that you have me, you have our family, you have whatever's going on, you've got this situation. And as we declare that, we begin to dance in the darkness. We begin to move forward. We have to learn to lament. Daniel laments. Second thing. Verse three, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips and I used no lotions until the three weeks were over. Learn to practice spiritual disciplines, friends. Spiritual disciplines are an uncool thing in church, but actually it is such a gift that God has given his church. Such a gift. The idea of prayer, the idea of fasting. Daniel fasts. He actually, as he hits his situation, he says, I'm not going to eat choice food or drink wine. I am going to go without that I might be in a place of hunger and that hunger would represent a spiritual yearning for the wisdom of God. Little side note, did Daniel stay a vegan? Clearly no. Chapter one, he went vegan. All right, praise God. He was allowed to eat meat again at some point in his life. But he gets to this point where he's in the darkness. He says, it's time for me to fast. It's time for me to go to this place of lack. It's time for me to dive into some of the spiritual disciplines. It's time for me to pray, get on my knees and pray. Friends, we wanna be a praying church. We wanna be a praying people. My heart is that you would be a person of prayer, that we, this house would be known as a house of prayer. That when people think about Hills Baptist, they'd go, oh, they're those guys who pray a lot. You know, that they know that we're Christians by our love, but also know we're Christians by the fact that we've got holes in our genes. Because we're praying. <laughs> Let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people who seek the face of God because that's what Daniel does. He dives in to the spiritual disciplines. He fasts, he's hungering for God's wisdom. So often what we do when we enter a space of trial, when we enter a space of confusion and darkness and despair, we actually do the opposite of these things. We actually chase after everything but the presence of God. We go and distract ourselves with whatever we can. We chase after the things of this world. We'll go partying, we'll go drinking, like even we'll just watch movies or we'll do, we'll, we'll isolate ourselves from the people of God. We do the opposite of the very thing that's gonna actually bring us freedom. And that is to pray and that is to fast and that is to seek God's face. Now here's the really interesting thing. He goes, on the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man. That means three weeks, that means 21 days he prayed and fasted without an answer. The hardest part of faith is the last half hour. 
The hardest part of faith is the last half hour. I don't know what you're praying for right now. I don't know what you're seeking God for, but keep going. Keep pressing in. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep praying. Keep seeking God's face because the answer is coming. It might take longer than you wanted it to take, but the answer is coming because our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. We'll get to that in a little bit more. So what happens as he's praying, as he's fasting, as he's seeking God's face? This man, I looked up and there before me was a man, that's in verse five, dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. Find gold from Uphaz. I don't know what Uphaz is, but it sounds good. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam and burnished of bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speak and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. What's happening here? This seems awfully odd. What's going on here is Daniel is having a revelation of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, what we see is that Christ, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, appears on occasions to the people of God. This is extraordinary. You go to Revelation chapter 1 and see the same image that John sees. Revelation 1 verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among them, the lampstands was someone like a son of man. What's he dressed in? A robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like what? Blazing fire. His feet were like what? Bronze glowing in a furnace. Exact same image. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. The exact same image. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Same image. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Same response. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Daniel has had a revelation of Christ himself. Daniel is in such torment. He's in this place of despair. What does he do? What does he need? More to the point, he needs an image of who God truly is. You and I need to know who God truly is. Do you know in the book of Acts in the ninth chapter when Saul gets turned into Paul, the same thing happens. He catches this image. What happens to him? Smack on his face. What happens to his friends? They didn't see the image, but they were terrified and they fled. This is what happened. When we catch a true image of the glory of Christ in his splendour, we cannot and will not stand. He is not a timid little thing that we can just put in our pocket, you know, and just carry Christ along and when we want to, just pull him out. He is glorious and mighty and strong. We're listening to Narnia as a family. I've used this a lot in this series, but I love that moment where Susan has met the beavers and they're like talking about Aslan. She's like, oh, a lion? Is he safe? And the beaver's like, safe? Who said anything about safe? 
He's not safe. He's a lion, but He's good. This is our God. We need to get a picture of who Jesus is in His glory, in His splendour and understand that He who is in me is greater than He who is in the world. He who is in me is greater than my problem. He who is in me is greater than those who are discouraging me. He who is in me is above my depression. He who is in me is above my situation. He is God. He is King. He is on the throne. He is Lord of heaven and earth. We need to catch that Vision. I love, Paul tried to explain him. Paul tried to explain him in Colossians in the first chapter. This is what he said. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything He might have the supremacy. That's a pretty good verse, friends. Or verse says, that's how Paul tried to explain it. Some of you know the sermon preached by Dr. S.M. Lockridge called That's My King. Anyone heard that? Oh, I'm going to read some of it to you. This is his best attempt. My king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He is the king. He is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's saviour. He's the centrepiece of civilization. He's unparalleled and unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature and the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be the all-sufficient saviour. I wonder if you know him today. And he goes on and on and on. And at one point he goes, I wish I could explain him to you. That's our King. The people of God need to get the correct image of the Prince of Peace in their hearts. Satan is not God's equal opposite. He is a defeated foe who is under his feet. We would do well to remember that. When we are facing trials and darkness, we would do well to remember who it is who came and said, whom the sun sets free, they are free indeed because he actually has the power to do it. That's our king. Let's remind ourselves of who he is. Next thing Daniel does. From verse 10, another angel enters the picture. A hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. I think it's Gabriel just because Gabriel is God's messenger, but the Bible doesn't say. But it's a different spiritual being. And in this moment, what God is doing from verse 10 onwards, he comes and God pulls back the cloak of the spiritual realm. You see, there's a physical realm and there's a spiritual realm. That's what we've been talking about, the tale of two kingdoms. There is a spiritual battle that is going on. And what Daniel sees in this moment, in his lament, God goes, he tears back the veil and he shows him what's going on in the spirit realm. And it's so good. And in verse 11, this is how he starts. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. 
Can I speak that over you guys today? You who are highly esteemed. That's how God sends his messenger. That's the message to the people of God. You who are highly esteemed. The other translation is Daniel, my beloved. Every conversation, every trial, every prayer, every situation you're going in begins with the powerful prophetic promise that you are beloved. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He adores you. You are his child. That is his promise. That is his promise to his people. And we need to begin there. You need to understand that is your nature. Do you know, the Bible says that John the Baptist was the greatest of all the prophets, which means he was greater than Daniel. But it also says, Jesus says this, but he is least in the kingdom of heaven. That means all of you have something which Daniel doesn't have. There's something that God has given his people that is greater than that which Daniel carried, which means, God, you are a part of the church. We are the church. We have the Spirit of God. And so when God sends his Spirit, what he's saying is there's something uniquely special about the age of the church. You have been given a revelation and a wisdom that no one else has ever been given. You know Jesus. You don't need to have just a vision of Jesus and go, whoa, what is that? We have the cross. We have the empty tomb. We walk in the it is finished reality of life. What hope is that? Come on, somebody. We have such hope. We have evidence of how much he loves his people. On Friday night at youth, as I was speaking, I felt like you know anxiety and all these things, depression, the things that are going on in our world right now, there is a heaviness a spiritual heaviness that is sitting on people. Now, there is the, there's the physical element. And if that's going on for you, you need to go and get help. Go see the doctor. There is the physical condition. But a lot of that spiritual, a lot of that anxiety is a spiritual heaviness. And when we're facing that, what we need to do is we need to get the truth of God out because the truth sets us free. And I said to these guys, all you have to do is get out your phone and just Google, who am I in Christ? If you do that right now, what will happen on the top of that search list will be like 150 verses of the promises of God over your life. It's really accessible. You don't have to pick this up and go, right, now, let me just navigate. No, it's, that's the joy of this thing. Just Google it and then every morning proclaim it. When you wake up in the morning, if you're struggling with this darkness and despair, get up and go, this is who I am in Christ Jesus. I know who He is. I know who He is. I'm going to speak that out and declare that promise and declare that truth. But this is who I am in Christ. I will take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and I will pull that sword out and I will begin to fight back the darkness and fight back the enemy with the promises of God. We are not called just to cower in the corner with our shield being like, oh Lord, please save me. No, He says, I've given you a sword. Pick that sword up, walk into that battle and start swinging that thing around in Jesus' name. If you're in a fight, picture medieval times when people actually did have swords. If someone walked into church with a sword, we'd all be very worried. But this is the spiritual reality. Picture this, you're in a fight in the medieval times and someone's like, Excuseth me, I doth not believeth that your sword hath any power. Therefore, put it down. No one's going, oh, sorryeth, championeth. Now, let's engage. 
No one's doing that. What are we doing? We're going, oh, you shalt not believeth, but let me show us. Is that not true? So why do we forsake the promises of God in the spiritual reality that we're fighting every single day? What if we got the promises of God so deep in us that that sword, oh, she was sharp and she was ready to go. And then when these darkness came, instead of just carrying and speaking that darkness and doubt over ourselves, we actually started to proclaim the promise of God and we actually started to wield the sword. Oh, there's power in that. Wield the sword, wield the sword. Remember who you are. Verse 12, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, for since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. I love that. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. As you read on, you're gonna hear him say, take courage, take courage, be strong, be strong. But here's the reality of that. When we just say, do not be afraid, it's like trying to tell a kid who's crying, stop crying. Any parents in the room have used that one before and found that it fell awfully flat? (laughs) It's like my go-to. They come up and I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. Stop crying. And what happens is, ah! Stop it. Just stop it. Stop crying. Sometimes I read that and it says, do not be afraid. I'm like, well, that's not very helpful, Lord. (laughs) Don't just tell me not to be afraid because I am fearful. I am worried. I am stressed in this moment. I am sad. Here's the really interesting thing. That comes in the context of the revelation of Christ, of the encouragement of his nature, that you are beloved, and it comes with a touch of the angel. Now, now, listen to this. This is important. Like I said, we live in the age of the church. We live where the Spirit of God has been given. We often pray, say, God, gee, why do you not send an angel to me? Why don't you send that angel to me to come and touch me and and strengthen and encourage me? Because you've got something better. You've got the Spirit of God who is living in the lives of the church today. If an angel, like we don't need, God's like, why do you want an angel? You've got the church. Why do you want an angel? You've got the Spirit of God. You've got me at work in you. This is what we're supposed to be doing with one another, friends. We're supposed to be encouraging one another to fear not. And when we are supposed to be reminding each other of who He is, who you are as a person, and we're supposed to be running together. Yeah, we're supposed to be talking about Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and that revelation and encouraging people in the promises of God and who you are. And then the people of God to strengthen one another. There's such power when you are feeling discouraged and down and you're in the darkness, but you actually in that moment choose to encourage someone else and come alongside someone else because you don't know what they're going through. And what you find is a church actually bees the church, walking with each other, not forsaking the gathering, not forsaking meeting together, not forsaking encouraging one another. We will find that we get to the edge of the ledge and we're like, I don't know how to move, but because this person's with me and this person's with me, because I've got a little Mabel at the back going, come on champ, we're supposed to be Mabels. That's a new phrase we're coining, be a Mabel. I'm joking. We're actually supposed to do that for each other spiritually. We have the Spirit of God. Let's encourage one another. Let's champion one another. Let's support one another. Do not be afraid. Why? Because He is with us. That is His promise to the very end of the age. And the evidence of that is the person sitting right next to you. Just look around for a second. 
These are not strangers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. You might not have met yet, but it doesn't change the nature. Brothers and sisters doing life together. Church is not a place to come and consume. It is a family. It doesn't matter if you're a church of 55,000 or five. You're a family and you're supposed to walk together. Walk together. Do not be afraid. Strengthen each other. I love how Jesus says that to Peter. He's like, when you know, Peter falls and makes mistakes, the first thing he says to him, when you return, strengthen your brothers. That's the call. Because Peter, you're the, you're the guy that I'm calling. You're going to be the one who preaches that first sermon. The Spirit of God is upon you. Preach the word. Number seven, band, you can come up. I don't know if this is number seven or what it is. I just said that number. <laughs> Six. Thank you, Robin. Last thing we see from verse, where were we? Verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This is a spiritual reality. This is a demonic oppression, a demonic person. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And it's heavy. And it's hard. And he's stuck. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and I was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord. And I feel very weak. I wonder if anyone's been in that place or even is in that place right now. How can I, your servant, talk with you, Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. There's that word again. He said, peace, be strong now. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened. There's a promise. And said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Underline this, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of the truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now, to be fair, I could preach on this for a very long time. I'm going to try not to. Last thing, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, knowing that our God fights for us. There is no promise that this Christian life is going to be easy. There's no promise that you come to Christ and you won't suffer. There's no promise that you won't have to deal with darkness. Instead, actually, Jesus says, in this life, you will have many troubles. But then he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Stand firm. Fight the good fight of faith, knowing that our God fights for us. Scripture, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, friends. Put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. How did they triumph? Verse 11, they triumphed over Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love life love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Here's what I took from that real quick. Word, worship, witness. God has given us a sling. He has given us a means to cast out weapons, to cast out bullets, ammo toward the enemy. And that is prayer. That is worship. And as we begin to pray the Word, the truth of God, the sword of God, as we begin to plead the blood of Christ over situations and claim that powerful blood, as we begin to proclaim Christ's victory, the testimony, the witness, as we declare what He has done in my life, in your life, encouraging one another in that, as we speak the truth of God, we will begin to see that the gates of hell will not prevail against the Kingdom of God. We will begin to see that those who have been stuck in darkness have seen a glorious light, friends. We will begin to see the victory of God start to be made manifest in our world. He says, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are in the now and not yet of that kingdom, but God desires to make His kingdom manifest in your life and in this world that those who are stuck in darkness would see the light of Christ as the people of God in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, would not just sit in that place, but no, we would pray the Word of God, we'd plead the blood, we'd proclaim the victory, and we'd be brave enough to start to dance in the darkness. To stand on the edge of that platform and go, God, you better have me. Guess what? He does because you've got your church brothers and sisters right behind you, swinging right down straight after you, probably too soon. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of for me. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. Paul talks about it over and over and over and over and over again. Church, if you hear one thing, and we're gonna sing in a second, one thing, persevere. Don't give up. 21 days he prayed and he fasted and he sought the face of God. 70 years in exile. 70 years, that's an entire life. 
and yet he fought the good fight of faith. And at 85 years old, he gets a picture of Jesus. When it's all said and done, he gets a picture of Jesus. May we get that picture too. May we dance in the darkness because our God fights for us. Would you stand to your feet, church? This is where we're going to do something different and I just have a conviction. It's time to pray. If you want, to, if you want prayer, please feel free to come forward and be prayed for absolutely by, by one of the leaders. But the Bible actually calls us the priesthood of all believers and there's, there's a real genuine place where we don't need to always come to someone with the title pastor in their name to be prayed for. Actually, you've got a brother and sister right next to you who can pray for you. So we're going to have a moment. The band's going to sing and play and we're going to open this floor for people to pray together. And I know that makes you feel uncomfortable for some of you. Some of you are like, oh, I can't wait. Lots of you are feeling uncomfortable about that. But guess what? God's not called us to a life of comfort. He's called us to a life of conviction. And He's called us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And He's called us to run the race with perseverance together. And therefore, we're going to do that. We're going to start by breaking through some of that hard ground by praying for each other right now. So I want you to break off into groups of however many, two, three, four, seven, 15, whatever you want to do. Take a moment to pray. And if for you that looks like just being quiet and sitting there, that's okay. If for you that looks like standing up and just shouting the goodness of God over someone, well then, by jingos, that's okay. If for you that looks like speaking words of knowledge over someone or a prophetic word that you feel like God's laying on your heart, do it. Exercise the spiritual disciplines. Exercise the gift of faith. Let's encourage one another. And then when you're ready, lift up a shout of praise as we sing this song together. Is that all right? Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Let me pray and then we'll break off. Love you, church. Thanks for being you. This is a special place. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you for the children in this place and just how you've just put that spirit of calm upon them and they've sat and listened. I thank you for every person here who feels like they're on that edge of the ledge and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to move forward. Would you come, Lord? Would you remind them of who they are, that they're dearly loved, that they wouldn't believe the lies of the enemy, that they're less than that, but they would believe the truth of God, that they are the beloved. Would you remind them of who you are, the glorious King of heaven, uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And would you help us to be your hands and feet, we pray. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Over to you, You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.